happy Palm Sunday and happy Passover. We're always happy to see your faces and hear your voices on the internet, but we miss your touch. We, 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 we miss those hugs. Today's reading is from Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take, them, take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they will eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast, do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any until morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. All right. So Exodus part eight, Exodus part eight, we're gonna be in chapter 12. John and Judy Quitney, thank you for doing the reading for us. Um, we are going to prepare through this sermon for Good Friday. And what we're celebrating on Good Friday, the cross of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus, what it means for us. We want to keep our eyes fixed on that. We want to understand it. If we don't trust in it for the first time, if we never have. Uh, you, you know, if I may oversimplify for a moment, I think there's two main ways that Satan... The devil, we believe in Satan, we believe in the great accuser, the devil, the Bible talks about him, Jesus talks about him. Um, there's two great ways that he tries to get our eyes off of the cross of Jesus, to forget about it, to not trust in it, 
to move away from it. On one side, on one extreme, is the lie of condemnation. This is the lie where he whispers to us, you're too bad, you're too much of a screw-up, you've messed up too much in your life. Jesus died for people with ordinary sins, not with the big sins that you've committed, not with all the shame that you have in your life. It doesn't cover yours. You've got a lot of work to do. You've got to clean yourself up, and you're not doing a very good job of cleaning yourself up. That's the lie of condemnation. On the other side, the other extreme is the lie of commendation. This is where Satan whispers in our ears, you're doing really good. You're doing great. You don't need Jesus to have died for you. You don't need his sacrifice. That's for the losers with things like addictions and who committed those bad sins, not for people like you. You're doing just fine as you are. If you don't believe he died for you, if you don't believe he rose again, doesn't even matter because you're doing so well. If there's a God, if there's a heaven, you're going there because you're so good. That's the lie of commendation. So in one side, Satan's goal is to get us to believe that God's judgment is coming for us and there's no escaping it. On the other side, Satan's goal is to get us to believe that if there's judgment at all, we don't have to worry about it. We're good. But both are lies. There is judgment that hangs over each of us, but there is also a way for each of us to escape that judgment. And that's what God provided for the Israelites in this last plague that he brought on Egypt that we are going to walk through today in Exodus 12 and which foreshadows what we are going to celebrate this Friday for Good Friday. It is meant to help us reflect and be prepared for Good Friday as we gather together in our services. We also have a fast this coming week, a Thursday and Friday two-day fast to help us reflect on and feel the weight of what Jesus did for us. So for those of you who've been doing the, the building fast, we're taking a break from that for those two days, and we're calling our whole church to this, to sign up for you. Sign up for it, so you, you'll get some things to, to meditate on over email. You've got to sign up for it, fill out a connect card. If you're watching online, click Get Connected. So we want our whole church to be able to reflect and feel the weight of this together. But we want to understand how that first Passover foreshadows what Jesus accomplished, how it points to, what it has to do with each other. Why John the Baptist said of Jesus many years later in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We want to feel the weight of this. And I, my prayer is that as we walk through Exodus 12 and we talk about what it means to be passed over, that we will feel the weight of this. So let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for everyone here today who's here today despite the rain, the colder weather, everyone who's watching online, in their living rooms and their kitchens. Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear from you. You speak to us. You touch us. You would deliver us 
those of us who need to be delivered from the lie of condemnation, those of us who feel like we've done, we've screwed up too much, and also those of us who buy into the lie of commendation, that we're too good, we don't need Jesus, we got our lives together. Deliver all of us, Lord, from those lies so that we can realize we all need saving, but Jesus made a way for all of us. It's in your name I pray and depend on you. Amen. All right, so we're going to be, again, we're going to be in Exodus 12, verses 1 to 13. But I want to start off with a quick flashback to Exodus 4. Because Exodus 4 is where God was preparing Moses to go into Egypt on this mission. And he was telling Moses what to expect. And he said this in Exodus 4. Verses 21 to 23, the Lord said, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So he's telling Moses, this is how it's going to go down. He ain't gonna let you, you're going to try, you're going to do these plays, you're going to do these signs, and he ain't going to let you go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. So God is telling Moses ahead of time that there will be an ultimate plague that will compel Pharaoh to say, all right, get out of here. And it will be the killing of the firstborn son in all of Egypt. And he gave a warning ahead of time. He didn't jump right to that final plague. He gave multiple plagues. We looked at nine plagues. He gave Pharaoh lots of chances to repent, to stop, to turn, to trust in God, the God of Israel. But God refused to. He refused to let them go. He continued to oppress them. And so God said there will be one more plague, the final blow that will go straight to the heart of Pharaoh and his household. Now, why the firstborn son? Because I understand that this is bothersome and troubling to many of us. This is one of those things in the Bible that many of us wish wasn't there. Maybe some of us who aren't Christians were like, that's one of the reasons. And maybe others of us are, who are Christians were like, yeah, it's hard for me to talk to my friends because they always point out this stuff. And I don't know what to say. I get it, right? That feels archaic feels kind of like this doesn't fit with our, our modern day sensibilities, right? How do we make sense of that? I'm not going to help you make sense of that today entirely. I'll give you a few things, uh, but not entirely. On something only the Spirit of God can do, but maybe he'll do it today for you. Here's a few reasons of why uh, God was going after the firstborn. First of all, like he said here, Israel was his firstborn son. He said to Abraham many years ago, I am going to create through you a nation. That nation, the the Hebrew people, is going to be how I'm going to bless the world. So in a sense, the people of Israel are his firstborn firstborn son. And they have been oppressed and slaughtered by the Egyptians for 400 years. And so God is saying, it's payback. You're going to feel it now, Egypt. Egypt. And then more specifically, over the last 80 years, 
the Egyptians have been systematically killing Hebrew males in order to stop their population growth, to put a, a stop to their rapid multiplication. So they've been systematically slaughtering the baby boys of the Hebrews. The only reason Moses survived is because he was put in a basket and sent down the Nile River. And so God is also saying, it's payback. I'm coming after you. And then thirdly, Pharaoh considered himself a deity, a god himself. And so his son would be a son of a god, an heir to the throne so that the kingdom would continue. And God is striking a blow. If you remember, God is striking a blow to all the Egyptian false gods. So those are three reasons why he's going after the firstborn. But there's another reason that we're going to get to later. So that's the warning. The warning's been given. Pharaoh did not heed the warning. And that brings us to chapter 12 of Exodus. After nine plagues have happened, here we are in chapter 12, where the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. So this month, you're starting a new calendar. I mean, this is huge. Moses you are starting a new calendar on the night of Passover, or the time of Passover, rather. You are starting a new month. This is a new beginning for my people. A new life is ahead of them. They're about to leave hundreds of years of slavery. And God's saying, this is brand new. It's not an improved life. It's not a life with a few tweaks here and there. It's a whole new life you are about to embark on. And that's what baptism symbolizes. Those of you seven people who are getting baptized today, it's a symbol, not of, oh, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. No, it's a symbol that you have been born again. God's spirit has come to live in you. You are a new creation and this is a new life you are walking in. That's what it symbolizes when you come up out of the water. Newness of life because of what Jesus has done. Verse 3, let's continue. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. So a lamb is to be brought in for each household uh, to care for it uh, like, a, like a pet. It's, it's, it's a year-old lamb, and you're to bring it into your household. And, and by doing so, they're going to get attached to that lamb, much like you would a year-old puppy or kitten in our day. You bring that into your home for a few days, you're going to get attached to it. Why does God want them to get attached to it? Because in a few days, they're going to kill it. Why are they going to kill it? Well, we'll get to that. But when they do kill it, God wants them to feel it. They want them to feel the loss. They want them to see this innocent-looking, cute, cuddly lamb dying in their place. They want them to feel the weight of that. So it's not just one lamb for the whole nation of Israel. Each household had to bring in a lamb so that they would feel it. And this would foreshadow the God of the universe who would step off his throne to be born of a baby or born of a, of a virgin as a baby and to live among us. To, to dwell among us, to be with us for 30-something years, spending time with us, connecting with us. People would, his followers would grieve and mourn at his loss because they're, they're with him. They're crying with him. They're eating with him. They're sleeping with him, right? They're spending time with him, and they're going to feel the loss 
of their precious Savior and friend, Jesus. It would also foreshadow Jesus coming into Jerusalem riding on a donkey on a day that we call Palm Sunday, which is today. The people of Jerusalem were waving palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus was coming in, riding on a donkey on the same day. Listen, listen, listen. On the same day that households all over Israel were taking lambs into their homes to prepare for Passover. Let's keep going. Verse 5. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats, take care of them until the 14th day of the month. So they must be year-old, and they must be without defect and without blemish. So four days, those lambs would be inspected. They'd be looked at. They'd be make sure that there's no blemishes on them. This would foreshadow the purity and the perfection of Jesus, of God the Son, who would, the Bible says, endure the same temptations you and I face every day. But he would endure them perfectly. Anybody fail sometimes at those temptations? Hmm? You're up and down, you have good days, you have bad days. Jesus endured it perfectly in our place. Spotless, lamb. Further, the day that Jesus came riding into town on, 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 on the donkey was the start of Passion Week, leading up to his crucifixion. During that week, you know what happened to Jesus? He was tested, and, and, and the Jewish leaders tried to trap him. They tried to find blemishes in him, flaws in him. They asked him questions like, by whose authority do you do these things? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They asked him questions about marriage and the resurrection. If there's really a resurrection, then who's, you know, who, who, who are you going to be married to? Which is the greatest commandment in the law? They're trying to question him and poke at him and trap him and find a blemish, but they couldn't find a single flaw, which is why they had to bring false charges against him in the end. This is why Peter would later say of him in 1 Peter 1.18, For you know... That it was not with perish perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, perfectly righteous. He had no sin of his own which allowed him to be the spotless lamb that would take our place. Okay, back to Exodus chapter 12. Let's keep going. So verse 6 says, Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. They must be killed. These precious baby lambs had to be killed. Just like the precious Messiah, in order to usher in his kingdom had to be a suffering servant, had to die a criminal's death on a cross. The one who came to represent the perfect love of God had to die in our place. This is why Paul would later say in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. This speaks of us being new creations 
for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. He purchased a way for us to be new creations. Jesus didn't just come as the Messiah to usher in a political kingdom as many of the Jews expected. Because then we wouldn't get to be new creations. No, he had to take the curse of the world upon himself as the sacrificial lamb so that we can come up out of the waters of baptism as new creations. Amen. Further, as Jesus was being nailed to the cross, at that very hour, the knife was being brought to the throats of lambs all over Israel to be slaughtered on the day of preparation. Many households not realizing that the ultimate lamb was being slaughtered at that moment for their sins. Back to Exodus 12, verse 7. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. So the lambs couldn't just be killed any old way. They had to be killed in such a way that their blood was spilled. An another piece in the Bible that many of us, of us perhaps don't like, but nonetheless... The blood had to be spilled and it had to be applied to the door frames, which would be an act of faith. So what this means is that the Israelites were not innocent. They needed the spotless lamb to die in their place and then they needed to show faith in that sacrifice by taking shelter under its blood which they had applied to the door frames. They had to show faith in that sacrifice. They were not saved. They were not passed over because they were Israelites. Because of their ethnicity. That didn't save them. Just like our ethnicity doesn't save us. That includes being American, by the way. That doesn't mean we're passed over. America doesn't get to be passed over from God's judgment. They were not saved because they were victims of oppression. Being victims doesn't save us either. We, love, we live in a culture where being a victim, somehow for many of us think that it justifies us. We like to out-victim each other, right? Being a victim is horrendous. And we are to be a people who fight for justice, and we've talked about this in the past. However, being a victim does not save us from God's coming wrath. It does not mean we get to be passed over from his judgment. There is only one way. It, being children of Abraham didn't save them. Their family heritage didn't save them. Just like our family heritage doesn't save us, kids and teenagers and young adults, your parents being a Christian doesn't mean you are doesn't mean God's wrath passes over. There's only one way. They had to believe that this blood was the way that God passes over them. And they had to take shelter under it and stay under that night. Just like we have to trust in the precious blood of the ultimate lamb who is without blemish or defect whose blood was spilled. Again, 1 Peter 
118, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. Redeemed means bought back, freed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Did anybody have an empty way of life in their past? <laughs> it wasn't with anything but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Why is that? See, the other reason God was going after the firstborn son is because it was a foreshadow of what would happen on a Roman cross on a mount called Golgotha where God would not take a firstborn son but would give his only begotten son for you and for me because he loved us so much and he wanted to buy us back from the empty way of life. Our sin will be paid for one way or another. There is one way where it's through Jesus who has paid for it and we take shelter under his cross and we hide under it and we go, Jesus, this is the only way. I'm trusting in you. Or we step out from under it. We say, I don't need it. Not relevant to my life. I'll face God's judgment on my own. I think my good deeds can stand up to his holiness and his wrath and his ultimate judgment. Those are the two ways. And God's telling us time and time again, this way doesn't end well. Get, take shelter under the lamb of my son who I gave for you because I love you so much. Verse 8 of Exodus 12. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire. Along The fire, by the way, foreshadow of, of God's, the wrath of, of God being poured out on Jesus who took it willingly. Who took it willingly. Jesus said, nobody, nobody takes my life, I lay it down. He drank the cup of God's wrath. He endured the fire of God's judgment for you and I. Eat it, uh, the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Don't eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roasted over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. So they had to eat it, not just take it, kill it, and put the blood on the doorpost, but they had to find nourishment from it. This would foreshadow what Jesus said about himself in John chapter 6, verse 53 where he said to a crowd of people, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Does that sound weird to anyone? Yeah. It sounded weird to Jesus' original audience. In fact, in that, it goes on to say that many of them were like, this dude's whack. I, eating his flesh, I'm out. <laughs> Literally, they, 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 they walked away. They walked away. Jesus was like, it's hard stuff. It's hard stuff. It pushes some folks away. Just like Moses talking to Pharaoh, hardened Pharaoh's heart even more. Jesus' word sometimes hardens our hearts even more. But for others... <laughs> who can hear it, who are given ears to hear it, whose hearts are being softened by the Spirit of God, they're going, oh, I get it. I get it. He's my nourishment. He's my food. He's the only thing that I can feed on for true life. 
Uh, all those other things I've been running to, that's not feeding my soul. It's empty. It's empty. It's shallow. It's superficial. It's not doing it. I've run to so many other things and it's not doing it. That's the only thing. It speaks to the fact that we don't say a prayer one day and we don't just get baptized one day and then we move on and go, all right, I did the Jesus thing. Now back to my old way of life. No, we get baptized because we're saying, Jesus, my life is yours. I want to feed on you the rest of my life. I want you to be my primary source of significance and, 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 and fulfillment and peace and joy. I want you to be the food, my, my daily bread. I want to depend on you daily, hourly, more than anything else. In other words, Jesus, we're saved by Jesus in order to feed on Jesus. He saves us, redeems us, so that we get him. He doesn't save us so that we can go, all right, Jesus, now you're going to bless me with all those things I used to pray for, right? You know, the, the new car and the awesome job, and blah, 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 blah. He does bless us in those ways. But ultimately, the ultimate blessing is him. We get him. We get to feed on him. We get to feed on his presence. And we're going to talk more about that next week in, 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 in uh, well, the Easter message. Go figure, Easter. On Easter. All right, verse 10. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. It has to be all consumed. The whole lamb has to be consumed. What does this speak to? What does this speak to? It means you can't just pick your favorite pieces and parts and go, ah, I'll leave the rest. I'll take the thigh. I'll leave the breast. I don't like the breast. I just eat the dark meat. No, I only eat white meat. There's too many calories in the dark meat. Right, so what we do. So we do. Well, we're not to do that with our salvation. My kids do it at dinner. They don't like the slimy parts. I'm like, that's not slimy. That's, that's olive oil. It makes it taste better. They don't like the stalk for the broccoli. They always, Can I, do I have to eat this part? We do that with Jesus, don't we? I like the teachings. But that stuff about him being my king, I don't know about that. I like the forgiveness. I love the part about him protecting me. And the provision, that sounds really good. I'll take a little bit of that. But the submission and the obedience and the trust, I'm not so sure. I like that. I don't think I need that. I was talking to somebody the other day in my neighborhood, a neighbor, a neighbor of mine. That's why he was in my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> and we got to talking about spiritual things, and he said to me, he said, well, I believe in a lot of deities. I said, do you believe Jesus is one of those deities? And, and he said, I, I like what he said. I, I like some of the things he said. I said, do you believe Jesus rose from the dead? He said, no, I don't believe that part. Now, this guy is at least being honest in the sense that he's saying, I'm not a Christian. He calls himself something else. Christians can't play that game. We don't get to say, oh, I'm a Christian, but nah, I like the other things, you know, pick and choose. We don't get to do that. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. It's either my life is yours, Jesus, and that's what these guys who are getting baptized are declaring. That's why baptism is, we make a big deal out of it. That's why it's one of our prayer goals, because it's easy to say, well, I said a prayer one day, and I just decided I'm a Christian. Baptism is, you're putting on bathing suits, and you're getting wet in front of people, sometimes out in the rain, and you're making this declaration, my life is his, and I'm living his life, his life in me, through me. He's my Lord. He's my King. Everything about me is His now. 
Everything I own is his now. We don't get to play this game where I believe some stuff, I don't believe others, nor do we get to play this game where, like, like some of the mantras that we live by emotionally, where we say things like, and we, let's, let's face it, we, we, we do this, right? I, I trust Jesus, but I have to look out for myself. I want to obey Jesus. I know Jesus is telling me to do this, but I got to make sure nobody takes advantage of me. I know Jesus is telling me to do this, but listen, I got to look out for number one. Listen, I got to make sure that I'm happy. Of course God wants me to be happy. I don't think he would want me to take that commandment too seriously in 2021. Right? Am I right? And when we, we can't do that if he's Lord, if he's Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. We have to take the whole lamb, the whole Passover lamb. And then verse 11 says, this is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. You know what this means? You know what this means? This is, I didn't really think about this until this year. They're eating it. I mean, this is different. You know how you've got people over for dinner and like, hey, take your coat off, take your shoes off, get comfortable, come on in, settle down. It's, it was the opposite. It was, all right, you guys ready? Get the bags, get, get the bags packed. Get, you ready to go? They had to eat it ready to roll because what God was doing was not just passing over so that they don't feel the effects of this final plague, but he was passing over them so that they don't feel the effects of the final plague so that they can walk in freedom out of slavery. And they had to be ready to roll. They had to be ready to walk in that freedom that God was providing for them. Their way of life was about to end. 400 years of slavery was about to come to an end this night. We can't fathom it. We, we today can't fathom anything close to that. I've been reading an autobiography of Frederick Douglass, uh, uh, talking about his, his exit from slavery. Right? He was a slave during the kind of pre-Civil War days, and he escaped slavery. And he talks about just the drastic change. And it's like, we don't have, any, we don't have a reference point for that. They were feeling that, and they were ready to go. God's like, listen, I am about to pass over you so that you can walk into freedom. And this would speak to the freedom we have in Jesus. He doesn't just forgive us of our sins. He doesn't just say, you're saved from the wrath to come. The penalty of your sins has been paid for. That's wonderful. But that's only part of it. We're saved. We're forgiven. We're freed from the penalty of our sins so that we can walk in a new resurrection life. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Don't let yourselves be burned again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that you've been set free. You, don't, you haven't been set free to just sit, or, sit at your house, right? These guys weren't passed over so that they could just hang in there. Go. Go. You got a new life to live. And so do we. We'll talk more about that next week too. The resurrection life that God provides for us. What does it mean to live in ever-increasing freedom? Not just sitting around like Eeyore waiting for Jesus to return. Well, this life stinks. This world stinks. Oh, man. It must be the end times. Look how bad it is. <laughs> right? We do those games. Look at the news. This must be the end. Hopefully Jesus comes back soon. No! We got a life to live, and it's a resurrection life that Jesus has purchased for us. 
talk about it more next week. All right, verse 12. We're going to finish up. I'm getting off here. Verse 12, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. Try to feel this. Try to feel this. This is, this is, we believe this happened. This is, this is sobering. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And at the end of the chapter, it says that is exactly what happens. God came and he struck a blow and it says from the poor to the wealthy, from the animals all the way up to the palace, not a single house was without mourning that night. Not a single house. That is sobering. And God said, the Israelites, you are not saved because you're Israelites. It is only, look at verse 13, the blood, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It's when I see the blood. It's when I see that you're taking shelter under the blood. That's it. There's still nothing else he looks for. There's nothing else he looks for. There's no other badges of honor. He doesn't look to see if you're coaching Little League, serving in your church. All those are good things. doesn't look to see if you're giving money to the homeless. Those are good things. But it's not the foundation of our salvation. It's only the blood. doesn't look to see how you're voting. It's only the blood. It's not looking to see which news you watch. It's only the blood. Let's look at this clip from the movie Prince of Egypt, which despite it being a kid's movie, it still gives a sobering picture of what it possibly was like that night. God has come to me again saying, take a lamb and with its blood, Mark the lintel and posts of every door. For tonight, I shall pass through the land of Egypt and smite all the firstborn. But when I see the blood upon your door, I will pass over you and the plague shall not enter.
sobering night. And all this would foreshadow the ultimate lamb who would spill his ultimate blood so that all nations, doesn't matter, all nations could be passed over and escape the ultimate wrath that is to come. But we've got to take shelter under the blood. We were doing our kids' life group at our house this past Tuesday night. We've got two, two life groups for kids. One of them's at our house. And Tuesday night we were talking about a little bit of this, this past over and what it means. We're talking about God's judgment and how God's a God of justice and how he judges our sin. And we asked the kids, we said, what, what does it take for us to be passed over? What do you think it takes? Is it, is it being good kids? Is it getting good grades? Is it being good at sports? Is it obeying your parents? All good things, but guess what? Not the most important. That doesn't do it. It's only by the blood of a Passover lamb. It's only by the blood of a Passover lamb. By, in fact, taking pride in our good deeds and taking pride in our religious activities and our church activity, uh, what that does is actually add more offense to God. Because that means we're saying to God, I don't need you to have paid for me. I got this myself. It, it elevates us above Jesus' sacrifice. Oh, that's below me. That's for those people. I'm good. That's pride, that's ego, that's religiosity, and that's more of an offense to God that needs to be paid for. That Satan's all over that, right? Remember I said the lie of commendation where Satan's like, you're good, keep doing what you're doing. Hey, keep doing what you're doing. You think you're good, keep doing, keep doing it. You don't need that stuff. When we're talking to the kids, one of the kids also said, to him, well, what about God loves us? God loves us. That's God loves us. That's why he'll pass over us. And we had to say no. Because God loves everybody. God loved the Egyptians. God loved the Egyptians. God offers forgiveness to everybody, but somebody, when there's forgiveness granted, somebody absorbs a debt. If I let Frank borrow my car, and he takes it out, and he dents it, and it's not drivable, he bangs it up, and I, I, I say, Frank, I forgive you. But if I truly forgive Frank, what does that mean? Who pays the debt? I pay for it. I pay for it. So for God to offer us forgiveness, what is he saying? I'll pay for it. You can't pay for it. You can't do it yourself. I'll pay for it with the precious, spotless blood of my son offered as the ultimate Passover lamb in your place. That's what will do it. I love you so much, so I'm offering this, but we've got to take shelter under it and not come out from under it and go, no, 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 I don't need it. I'm good. I do good over here. I'm a good husband. I'm a good father. I'm a good mother. I'm a good citizen. I'm a good, I teach kids. I, I volunteer with the fire department. None of that. None of that. None of that. He only looks for the blood. Are you taking shelter under the blood of his son? This is why John the Baptist said many years later, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's him. It's only in him. He takes it away. <laughs> and the good news is anybody, and it doesn't matter our sins. Anybody got big sins in their past? Yeah. Anybody still struggling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
And we're going to struggle until we see Jesus. But when we take shelter under his blood, he doesn't kick us out and go, nah, you screwed up one too many times. He says, yeah, stay under here. Just stay under here. Just stay under here. You too. Yeah, you too. And you, yep, get under here. 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 And that's what those people, those seven people today are declaring out in the rain. I've taken shelter under the blood of the Lamb. The old me has been crucified with Christ as they go down underwater. And as they come up underwater, I'm a new creation. I'm a, I'm a new loaf. I, I've read. I, I, I'm, I'm one who's been born again. I've been declared righteous. I've been freely forgiven forever. I'm in his family. I'm in his kingdom. And there's nothing I can do to get me kicked out of his kingdom. I've been adopted. And there's nothing I can do to become unadopted. My life is his. He's my Lord. He's my king. And I'm going to live my life for him. And I'm going to fail at times, but I'm going to trust that his spirit is going to pick me back up and mature me and grow me. And I'm going to continue to hunger for him more and more and more and more and more as my daily bread. That's what they're declaring today. So that's something worth singing about. So let's, let's, let's sing. Let's sing. Worship band, come on up here. Um, we'll do one song right now. We did a little bit more in the first service, but... We're going to do one song right now, and then we're going to have the people who are getting baptized read their testimonies, or somebody will read for them, and we'll, we'll celebrate them before we take them out back and dunk them, all right? And, and, and I want to encourage all of us here, would you, as we stand and as we sing, would you consider, where are you? What are you doing with the blood that has been offered for you by our Passover lamb? Are you buying into one of those lies, the lie of condemnation? I'm, I'm too bad. I don't, Jesus didn't die for me. He doesn't want me. I'm too much of a screw-up. Or are you buying into the lie of commendation? I'm too good to need that silly stuff. Where are you? Or, or do you just need to come back to Jesus for the first time or, or for the tenth time? You return to him and say, Jesus, you're my Lord. I want to live for you. But let's stand and sing and let, let God's Spirit talk to us.